Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Happy birthday to you, or me, or neither of us, because it's neither of us' birthday, but hey. <laughs> but we're getting presents nonetheless. <laughs> we are getting presents nonetheless, and we are getting pr- the biggest gift of all in the f- this film, happy birthday to me. Yeah, we're giving a gift to our listeners, is what we're yeah. doing, by reviewing yes. this title. Good choice, Troy. Yeah, well, this was, this was requested, so... Thank you, David, for requesting happy birthday oh, to me. Yeah, David, a fan. A fan. I feel yeah. so famous, so popular. But this was a movie that I probably would have wanted to cover eventually anyway. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'm glad that uh, we, we, we're doing it now. Yeah. For absolutely. our, I believe, 18th episode. Oh, Oof. my God. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling so old. Our right. podcast is growing before our very eyes and ears. 18. 18 <laughs> oh, of these we've done. She's legal now. Everybody, mm. she's legal. Happy birthday to her. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, uh, yeah, so yeah, we're covering the 1981 slasher flick. Happy birthday to me, if you don't, if you didn't guess already. Um, and this is a lot, so we're going to get into it because this 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 film is a is a doozy. But you know, right away, I mean, is there anything real quick that you want to share? Well, I'm I'm leaving for Colombia. On Wednesday, and I'm going to be gone for a week. So, listeners, if there's a little lull, a little gap between this and our next episode, that's on me. I'm going to be in South America living it up. Um, so don't blame Troy. Blame me. Blame uh, him. He's he's going to be frolicking with Shakira. <laughs> what are you? Where are you? I can't wait. It'll be great. Uh, but yeah, but um, I we do already have our next titles lined up for when I return, mm-hmm. and uh, we will dive right back into it. So don't don't think that it's going to be a long wait, but there may be a couple a couple days there between this and the next. Uh, how about you, Troy? How are you? What's new? Uh, I, nothing. <laughs> really, nothing. I mean, we, it doesn't seem like that long. We were long ago. We recorded our final exam episode. So between now and then. Hmm. Nothing, nothing, yeah. nothing, it's, nothing exciting. Uh, that's because we've been consistent because we're real podcasters now. Yeah, exactly. Well, and we, we're doing it. Real podcasters. We live that life. Exactly. Yeah, I know. I feel so professional. Yeah, me too. It's cool. It's cool. So, yeah, I'm just trying to think. Is was there anything new? Um, no, like I said, it was, it's been same old work and um, just ready to travel i booked some trips so i'm excited about that yeah hopefully um oh they will be confident have faith have faith i just got my second vaccine i got a little sick the other day but now i'm finally i'm ready to take on the world well unless the world 
fucks me over and spits in my face (laughs) and throws something else out at me that I have no control over. But right now I feel confident that uh, traveling is going to slowly but surely become more and more possible. If I didn't think that, I wouldn't be going to South America. So, yeah. The only thing I'm paranoid about is – and when you travel, make sure you do this too. Uh, And listeners, Roger's Corner, a little bit of knowledge. Uh, Make sure you get your COVID testing Mm -hmm. secured and taken care of before you leave the country because it is a whole lot of nonsense and it is very stressful i'm losing hair over it um i've taken tests i took one at walgreens i took one at rite aid uh i, I have backups uh in case they de- decline one i'll say but wait i have this um so uh yeah it's very stressful so that's the one thing i will say to you troy is when you travel make sure you just get your ducks in a row my God! Yeah, Ugh, I'm going. Well, I'm not going it. anywhere. Well, yeah, in July I have a trip out of the country booked, um, but uh, in, in December. So hopefully by then things will be a little bit more calm. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. So that sounds fun. I will definitely look forward to, and I'm sure the listeners will look forward to seeing all your pictures from Colombia. That'll be fun. Oh, I know. I can't wait to spread it. I can't wait to spread it. Um, and. Um, I'm curious, what are what are you traveling for? Any special uh, No, event? no special event. Just because my travel last year was fucked. Every place I was supposed to go last year didn't happen. I was supposed to go to Switzerland last year. Switzerland, France, Italy. That was that was in March. That was right when COVID hit, so that got canceled. I was going to go to Hawaii over the summer. That did not happen. Um, I was going to go to Canada. That did not happen. So I booked a trip to Alaska next month. Oh, and then, yeah. And then Mexico in July and J- Japan in December. Ooh. So where are you going? Uh, where in uh, just Riviera Maya. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm going to Cancun Cancun's next fun, month. Yeah. So. That's the same. Oh, I've never been. I've never been. Well, you know, my birthday's in July, so I'm considering it a little bit of an early birthday okay. gift. Well, there you go. It's my way of saying happy birthday to me. You and Melissa <laughs> Sue. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that dame. Oh, I can't wait to crack this one open. Cut into it like a birthday cake. Cut into it like a birthday cake because this one is, you know, it's a long one. And you are going to have to figure out if we are going to love this film or are we going to skewer it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I was not prepared. For that. God, you, you win today. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I thought about that. I, that took me a while. You've had that in your that. pocket for months. I know. I did. I did. <laughs> okay. Okay. Let's get this ball rolling. Yes. So happy birthday to me. The film begins with a beautiful, I love this piano score that plays over this opening shot of this preparatory school called Crawford Academy. Troy's theme for the week, by the way, college campuses with bell towers. Yeah. Oh, yes. There you go. I, you know, I didn't even think about that. You were right. Yes, because there's a whole bell tower scene in this film that actually does not have anything to fucking do with oh the movie. So we'll the get only to other that. movie that will be added to this list is Urban Legend 2, Final Cut. Right? Right? Um, so, yes, yeah, Crawford Academy, and um, we get a beautiful piano mm-hmm. score, very haunting. Although, I, I guess I read something that when the DVD release came out early, in the early 2000s, they had eliminated this piano score and replaced it with, like, a disco theme score. What? Yeah, and I would be curious what? to hear. I'd have, Yeah, I'm like, how does that even fit? But whatever. The version we're talking about is the original that has this beautiful, haunting 
score piano string mm-hmm. score over the opening scene and it's a beautiful sweep of crawford academy it's a huge campus beautiful kind of victorian gothic looking buildings and we f- go in and we focus on a young lady leaving one of the uh the buildings it's late at night and as she's walking by herself she gets uh attacked by a beautiful little bulldog i believe the name's winston Right. Yes, who is one of my favorite characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she falls on the ground, and we find out that Winston belongs to Mrs. Patterson. My kind of dame with that hat. She has a hat. She has her little bulldog. She is not even concerned that the bulldog attacked Bernadette. Well, the girl's Bernadette. That's her name, Bernadette. And she's played by Leslie Donaldson, who is kind of a little 80s scream queen herself. She was in, um, oh, Curtains? Oh, yeah, she's curtains. the broad that gets uh, on the ice skates, yes. And then she was yeah. in Funeral Home. Uh, so, yeah, she has a lot of 80s. She's done a lot of 80s horror stuff. But this, she uh, basically, when she's laying on the ground without Mrs. Patterson's apology, Miss Patterson starts scolding her for going to the inn with the other Crawford Top Ten. Mrs. Patterson is a no-nonsense kind of woman she's got some cold as ice lesbian vibes about her she gives me a tilda swinton kind of androgynous Mm -hmm. vibe almost she's got like the short silver white hair at times she speaks in different languages uh she speaks in french at one point in the film and she doesn't give a fuck about these kids um well no i don't want to say she doesn't give a fuck she just finds them horribly Uh obnoxious um, and you don't fuck with this woman, and I like her. I really wish there was more of her in yeah. the movie. She gets a she gets a couple scenes, and then just kind of, excuse me, goes to the wayside. So we find out about this Crawford Top Ten, which is apparently like the ten most popular uh, wealthy students at this academy. Which I am assuming I have questions about this. I'm assuming it's a high school. I'm so yes, about because what kind of it's like a prep school, but maybe? are these high? But all of these high school, they can't be. Well, she, Mel- but <laughs> Melissa Sue Anderson's character is only, I thought they said she was turning 17. I guess so. But even when they show her in flashbacks, she looks like she's 21. Well, all of the, all of the so characters look like they're 40. She yeah, looks, but yeah. it, I'm assuming it was, it's a high school because, yeah, it's weird. But it definitely has a collegiate vibe to the campus. It's so big. It, it does, but, but then there's other things that go on where it's like, okay, this is a high school. Um, and like I said, it's meant, I think it's mentioned that she's turning 17. So I I don't know, but anyways, it's really confusing whether this is a high school or what it is, but apparently if it's a high school, it's okay for kids to go out to a bar late at night and does not make sense to me at all. (laughs) Uh, but anyways, miss as, um, Mrs. Patterson scolds Bernadette, Bernadette gets up and, um, Mrs. Patterson's like, don't you stay out too late and turns around and walks away and Bernadette kind of mocks her. And as Bernadette, she goes to her car, which is literally parked um, 10 miles away, like in the most obscure, like there were, I saw, okay, when the, when the film opened, we saw the campus. There were plenty of places to park. She, right. she literally <laughs> parks 10 miles away, like in the most secluded, like surrounded with like shrubs. It's <laughs> very ominous. Shrubs and yeah, and, and like cement <laughs> trucks. And it's just, where the hell did you park, Lee? But she gets into her car, 
And she is immediately oh, like yeah. someone's in her backseat and immediately is strangled and pulled into the backseat. And I love this scene is actually pretty cool. The way they it's, it's drawn out, the killer pulls her into the backseat and her yeah. her legs are kicking. It's very effectively done. It looks really realistic and brutal. The killer gets her into the backseat and yeah, really, it's really cool. It's a really interesting shot of her feet are like kicking the, the, the back passenger door. Uh, until the passenger door comes open, but the killer is like strangling her even harder and she goes lifeless and her feet are like dangling out of the back uh, door. It's really, really a kind of a spooky looking shot. Yeah. You even see like the heels of the shoe. Um, you at one point see them like hitting the roof of the car, the ceiling of the car. And it's like scraping the, the suede interior. It is, it's, mm-hmm. it's you know, you see chokes, We've seen a lot of choke scenes done in our our day. You know, um, every movie has a choke. But this one stands out because you're right. It's very, like, it's drawn out. And it's, you know, she you do see, she sees some kids walking by. And she's, like, trying to hit the, the wheel, you know, trying to honk the horn for their attention. And she just can't get their attention. And she's, you know, kicking on the door, trying to kick the glass. And it's not working. She's trying everything you would think to do in this situation. And it's just not it's not working for well she and she does something she does something really smart very it's like it's like she is the smartest like slasher character in history when she's in the car yeah the second she gets out of the car she becomes the dumbest slasher character in history yes uh (laughs) because what she does is she plays dead so she's she acts like she's dead and then as the killer kind of releases the grip on her she like punches punches the fucking killer off of her and takes off out of the car and literally, like I said, it goes from her being extremely smart to her being extremely stupid because she literally walks five feet and stops. It's like, oh my God, somebody help me. It's like, bitch, help yourself run. Why did you just stop? Like yeah. five feet away from the car. And she's crying. She's just standing there. And of course, the killer grabs her and she gets away again. And what does she do? She stops. She runs, a, she runs another five feet and stops. <laughs> And it's, I'd be sprinting. Oh my, I'm just full yes. on sprinting across that campus. Why are you stopping? And she's like, help me, help me. Run. You have a whole area to run to and you just stop twice. Anyway, so uh, she kind of stumbles forward and then we see a figure emerge in front of her. And right away we kind of know, We as, I assume, I mean, we you assume it's the killer, but then she's like, oh, it's you. Help me, please help me. You know, you need. So we know that she recognizes the person, right? Mm -hmm. So that's played pretty well, except the person has a straight razor and slits little Bernadette O'Hare's throat wide open. Yeah. And yeah, cool opening. Um, Yeah. I I like I like the opening a lot. I I Mm -hmm. think it's really effective. Uh, I think. Yeah, I just. Little gripes about like like why didn't she run? I mean, she could have ran instead of stopping twice. Yeah, I wonder if that's more of an issue with editing because you know like the the you can't really see much of the layout of where she's running, but you can see she's running around vehicles, and I wonder if it's just more of how they edited that sequence. Because you're right, it seems that like they gave her some pretty good impulses, especially within the vehicle, to defend herself, and it just yeah, it seemed like a really um, it seems so weird. I I noticed that she like stops and she's like looking behind her. I'm like aren't you in plain sight of the killer? You're not even hiding, no. you know, yeah. but I will, I will say my, um, uh, I have a soft spot for the name Bernadette in my heart. I went to St. Bernadette's 
was my grade school, and my because of that, my first drag queen name was Birthday. Oh, so when I heard this name, I, I there was a little twinkle in my eye. Um, and it's it's the most like southern name. Oh, it's so horrible. It's not a good drag queen name at all. Well, it's no, horrible. this her, Bernadette in the movie. It's Bernadette O'Hara. Bernadette like O'Hara. she would be like the fourth Golden Girl. That would be like a Golden uh, Girl's name. Bernadette O'Hara. Absolutely. Blanche's best yeah, friend. It's, it's unfortunate that she was brutally killed. Though I, I will say I do really like her reactions. Um, like I mean, her eyes are like bloodshot, and she's weeping and crying, and it, it is a really good opening scene in general. I even have the note like that's that's how you do. And open. Yeah, kill. it's really good. Give me a give me a chase. Give me some fight. Give me some brutality. Yeah, I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, it's good. So once she's dead, we the we scan over to like this boat, like this industrial looking boat dock where there's like ferries and barges. And this is where the um the the inn is that these Crawford Ten um go to, go every night to drink, even though I think they're in high school. And it's called the Vanishing Lady, <laughs> which is so funny. That sounds like a drag bar too. It does. The Vanishing Lady. Bernadette is performing at the Vanishing Lady tonight at seven p.m. Be there. I can't wait. Let me get my heels. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, and then we go in and we meet the whole group. They're sitting at a table, uh, and there's like this obnoxious. I don't know what are they. Um, what do you call these? Oh God! They're, they're Shriners. Shriners. I could not think of that. I was like, "What the Shriner?" The whole table of Shriners singing the fifty bottles of beer on the wall, fifty bottles the whole time, and it's yeah. pissing the um, the uh, high school students. the high school students <laughs> off. Uh, and then we get introduced to Jenny, Virginia, Virginia Wainwright. Uh-huh. These are all very southern names, but I don't. But I it's love it. like. The- well, I think they're all supposed to be like the upper echelon, the rich, and they sound it. They sound it for sure. The names are all very like. <laughs> but it's uh, it's it's our it's the lovely Melissa Sue Anderson, Mary Ingalls. Yes, God, she's beautiful. She is, and it's really you know this was her first film role. Um, outside of Lost in the Prairie, this was her first film. So, yeah. Um. So it's good to see her in in something like this because you know she's such a you think of Melissa Sue Anderson and you just think of Mary Ingalls. Yeah. So it's it's kind of cool to see her do something a little bit different. And then she did. Did you ever see that made for TV movie she did uh, back in like the early eighties called Midnight Offerings? I I did not know. It's where she plays a witch. Oh no! High school. It's a high school. She's a witch, and then a new girl shows up that's a witch. And there's like this epic like telekinetic. Uh, fight scene in like the school wood shop and oh there's like chainsaws <laughs> yeah it's cool yeah it's really cool sounds right, right um, in my alley yeah right so basically the scene is just to get uh us introduced to all of the characters yes. so virginia shows up there is alfred yeah who is like the he, he looks so much like um keith 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 from the, the actor keith what's his last name he played in christine and the legend of Billy Jean, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, I I can't think of the name though. Yeah, he was. He looks, that's who it looks like. Uh, the guy from the guy that plays Arnie and Christine, and he was also in uh, Legend of Billy Jean. Keith something or other. I don't remember. It's gonna come. It, it'll come to you like 45 minutes into this podcast. Yeah, You're yeah, just yeah. But that's that's out. just who I kept thinking of. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's the dude from Christine. But it's not Keith Gordon. Keith Gordon. Yeah. 
Um, anyway, so he his whole thing is he's bringing like this little rat. He brings a rat into the uh, into the bar and yeah, George George the rat. And in the meantime, there is the big blonde headed buff dude named Greg who gets up and proceeds to attack the Shriners for singing uh, the 50 bottles of beer on the wall, 50 bottles of Because they restart. They do it like 50, yeah, it's annoying. They do it like 50 times. I would kick their asses too. It was so fucking obnoxious. It was super obnoxious. But this, so the other dude, one of the other members is like, Greg pulls him back and he apologizes to the Shriners and offers to buy him a beer. And this is a ruse to pull a prank on them that I thought was kind of a shitty prank not necessarily for I felt bad for the rat because what they do is they order they order they order a, a, a pitcher of beer for the Shriner table and then they proceed to put George the rat in the beer and give it to poor George he's not there to harm anybody no, he's a rat leave him alone he's very well behaved and everybody in the group seems to, seems to know and like George um, I really quick want to point out this whole thing like leading up to the sequence um, this, this location already at this point in the film, the locations and the cinematography really kind of took me by surprise. I just, I have to state this, uh, leading up to this whole big moment, this whole big climactic moment. Um, this movie definitely does not feel small budget in any way. I don't know what the budget of this film is, but it, uh, it's one of the bigger budget slashers I feel like I've seen from that era. And it, Scene two, it already shows from the costuming to the flowetry of the cinematography to the score. It, I mean, right off the bat, they're making it clear that this is quite a grand production. Um, and so I wasn't trying to step on, on what you were saying. I just, I really want to get that thought out with this, with this moment. Um, the second scene already, like when you're meeting all the lead characters, there's all this commotion in the bar. It's almost kind of hard to like, figure out the names of the characters because there's just so much going on, but it's a partially because it's shot really well. It almost think, makes me think of the chaotic energy and like, and like the thing when you're kind of meeting all of the characters for the totally different scenario, different vibe, but like the kind of chaotic, like the way that they're filming this and they're all around this table talking and chatting and there's all the music going on and everything. Um, I really enjoy, I really enjoy how they start this film off. <laughs> Yes, the film is, yeah, definitely has a big budget feel. Uh, and that's because I, I it, it's a Columbia Pictures put it out. Um, so you know that they were going to put some money into it. Uh, it's not like one of those straight direct to DVD type films or, or films by a small production company right. like Final Exam right. that nobody had ever heard of. And you also have a very talented, uh, seasoned director behind this film, Jay Lee Thompson, who Perhaps before this film, he, he did it. I mean, he's directed a shit ton of films in the 50s and 60s. Probably the one he was best known for was he directed the original uh, Cape Fear. Oh, wow. With, okay. uh, Robert Mitchum. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I mean, you have a talented director, yeah. uh, a very seasoned director behind yeah. this. And it, and it definitely it definitely shows um, some of these shots in the film. Some of the cinema, the setup for the shots is just something that you don't see yeah in a slasher film yeah, because around the shriners and everything during the like as the commotion is building they're doing a lot of like sweeping camera movements gliding by the shriners over to the kids pushing in on different different moments and everything there's a lot of um really fluid camera work it's really nice and this whole scene is a really good example of that 
It is. And, and then this the following scene, right? The, this following scene right away lets you know that this film has some money behind it. Because after the commotion of this whole little sort of bar brawl, which, I mean, you don't get to know really any of the, the characters that well in this particular scene, which is, you know, maybe a little bit of an issue because it is the first time you're being introduced to this group of characters. And it's sort of like it's not used as character introductions it's it's used more as a you know scene to you know show some action you know yeah yeah but uh so really right away i'm like these are some unlikable characters just because of what they pull in the bar but they run out of the bar after like literally the bar people have been like throwing tables over and stuff and they get in all of their cars and um virginia melissa or virginia jenny is pushed into a car with um the oh is it steve greg it's greg it's greg greg it's greg it's greg yeah so yeah and annie and pushes melissa or i keep going to call her melissa that's just (laughs) jenny into the car with greg and i guess there's this whole game they play that the the bar this bars are like on the opposite side of this bridge and there this this bridge is very prominent in this film it's like one of those drawbridges not a drawbridge but it's a it's a bridge that opens up to let barges through i mean i had one in my hometown i grew up in davenport iowa across the mississippi we had it we don't i remember we have to stop and wait for the bridge to open and close to let the barges through so the bridge opens up okay so what they do is when they see the bridge open up they have this whole like game and they even bet on it where they are going to drive across the bridge and jump the bridge. A couple of the cars go and make it because the bridge isn't open that far. The one guy is going going to do it, but he sees the he's like, no, screw this. The bridge it's too it's too too much. It's open too much. However, Greg doesn't care and proceeds to jump the bridge, and the car literally like flies in the air and lands like nose first into the street and just he totals his car, <laughs> wrecks it and like. Pulls away and like gets out and like nobody seems concerned that the car just was totaled. Like they're like, they don't even mention it. Well, let alone like the people in that vehicle. Like, I'm sorry. If if there were people in that car, they'd be thrown around like fucking rag dolls. Yeah, that's another thing. It's like none of them had seatbelts on, if you noticed. And then, but but none of them like flew out the window or anything. Like it was so, it's it's so funny because I noticed that. I'm like, okay, they don't have seatbelts on. There's three people in the front of this car. The car. This scene is elaborate. Like this is a this was a major stunt that probably took a couple days to film, if not more. Right. Um, and so, literally, the car when you see the scene, the car lands almost perpendicular, straight in there on its nose, and like shatters everything. And yeah, none of these kids fly through the windshield; they're all fine. Um, except Jenny is freaking out. She like is totally freaking out, and she gets out of the car and runs into the woods. A reasonable response, dare I say. Um, yeah, I think what this scene was supposed to kind of maybe imply, because when I watched this, I was, in my mind, I I think I at one point heard one of them say, like, I think Greg says, like, you owe me 20 bucks. And I'm like, 20, 20 bucks for, like, that volume of damage, that amount of damage to your vehicle? How is it worth it? But I think it's almost maybe kind of meant to display just how wealthy these these kids are, that this is kind of like disposable to them does that make sense yeah it could be because yeah he just he yeah because he doesn't seem like i said he doesn't seem shook up that he just like totally wrecked the front of his and neither do any of the other characters so it must um yeah it must have been like 
oh, daddy'll fix it kind of situation, yeah. 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 So, uh Jenny runs into the woods and we learn that she lives through the woods by <laughs> a cemetery. By a cemetery. <laughs> a very where, dramatic cemetery. A very well and her mother just happens to be buried there. Um so we find out that her mother is dead. Uh, and as she's running away, we have to mention the character of Anne, like gives her this like ominous like stare as she's going into the woods. Yeah. Like and it's like a and it's not subtle at all. No, like it's not subtle at all. So you're like, okay, that's kind of odd. Mm-hmm. Um, what's what's up with Anne? So as she is um, in the cemetery visiting her mother's grave. There, someone approaches her, and we see that we see someone approaching her, and a black glove kind of gla- grabs the uh, branch and lifts it up so they can get a, a better view of her. A very, you know, traditional slasher shot. We've seen that sort of same thing in Friday the 13th with a hand grab and a, a tree branch and looking over. But that's a black glove. So there's elements of the Jalo film in this as well. Um, very much so. And this glove is a very popular glove. Several people in this film appear to own the same black leather glove because it comes up a lot they they own the same i don't know if you know this they own the same black leather gloves and they all own the same scarf yes that striped yeah. scarf yeah the striped scarf they all have this blue and light blue uh, striped scarf so she after she kind of tells her mom oh i missed you so much her mom's grave she gets up and she she heads home and then out of nowhere weird french guy grabs her um his name's Et- Etienne. Etienne. I don't speak French. Etienne. I think that's how they said it. Etienne. Yeah, I know the one you you're know, talking. Yeah, you know about. the French guy. He's a real fucking creep. <laughs> he is a creep. He's like, oh, I'm not going to try a French accent. But he's like, oh, I could walk you home. I specifically like pointed out that line. Like he looks at her in the creepiest way possible. He's like, I'll walk you home. Yes. <laughs> and. Like, again, Virginia takes off running, and it's very... A few things are established early on in this film. A, Virginia has crazy eyes from right off the bat. She just is... She's got a crazy vibe, and as soon as you get her in the cemetery scene, you know there's something really off about her. She's talking to her mother's tombstone. She's having a conversation. She's clipping the grass around it. Like, the transition from... Like, the, the flight from the car wreck where she books into the woods to like the mental state of trimming the grass around her mother's tombstone. It's like a light switch. Um, yeah, it's very weird. But so then like, also there's this trend that is started here with like a lot of the men in this film have a very weird, like stalkery creeper kind of obsession with it's, it's not, it's, it's not some of them. It's all, it's literally every man in this film. (laughs) Well, and, We'll get to it, but this film really wants to hit you over the head with red hair. Oh my god, the red hair are everywhere. Big time. I have never seen a film with so many red herrings, or at least very blatant attempts to make a character a red herring. Even like even like the scene even when I just was talking about with Anne and her stare, her ominous stare at Virginia, she runs away. It's not subtle at all. Like the camera is on her face for at least 15 seconds. And she has the most like malevolent stare on her face. And you're like, what is this about? Mm-hmm. I thought you guys were like best friends. And now you're looking at her like you literally want to kill her. And it never really comes up again. Yeah. Um, and then the French guy, like when he sees her, it's like when the guys see 
Virginia outside of another person, they are the most creepy fucks to her. They go into like full on like rape mode. It's very mm-hmm. weird. And it's every man in this film. Even well, the even father. <laughs> I was just getting to that. I was just getting to that. Yeah, that's a weird relationship. Oh, God. I was like, this is some incestuous looking bullshit. The way that they like say goodnight to each other at one point. It's like, yeah. Goodnight, daddy. I, I love, love you. you. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is giving me like, hello, Mary Lou. Prom night two makeout sequence flashbacks. <laughs> But I want to know, why was this French guy just randomly in the middle of the cemetery? Well, and then, like, why does he do what he's about to do afterward? Exactly. And literally, he's like, oh, I'll walk you home. Her house is, like, 10 feet away. Like, if you wanted to walk her home, you should have asked her at the freaking inn, not when she's already at her front door. Oh, I'm going to walk you home. Anyway, so she goes into her house. And, yes, this relationship with this father is just... Awkward. And like the house, awkward. the house in general looks something straight out of Valley of the Dolls. It's like pink. It's very dramatic. Everything in this film looks a little bit larger than life. Again, big budget. Um, but like, I mean, from the curtains to the decor, everything about this this house is just extreme. Um, and it makes the whole like energy between this father and daughter even creepier because the whole house is a very like sex den kind of vibe. <laughs> do you get what I'm saying? Like, yeah. It's like pink and red. and like It's just very, it's so weird. It's just weird, everything about it. Well, even the, yeah, and even this whole little scene where he is like, um, oh, you visited her grave again, didn't you? I told you not to do that anymore. You got to get over her. You have me now. And I'm like, that is not cool yeah yeah i get what they're trying to go for with the father relationship however it doesn't land it does just it doesn't play well at all and i don't know if it's supposed to be that he wasn't like in the picture i think at one point and that she's resentful but now like they've Mm -hmm. formed because of like the mother having obviously passed away they've formed this different kind of relationship but it really just reads like very like it reads like they're banging and it's very weird it does because she she actually yells at him about you know why you know this was what you wanted you you're the one that said I can't visit my mom's grave I don't know why you don't want me to visit her grave blah 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 and she starts to run up the stairs and then he literally is like Virginia and like grabs her in the most like sexual embrace I think I've ever seen in a film yeah like pulls her literally her face is literally a half a f- inch from his yeah. he's like you're my little girl. I'll do anything for you. <laughs> oh, this father's selling Shakespearean vibes. Like he's he's really just given his all and then some. It, it it's chewing the scenery. But um, a lot of the adult actors in this film are, are a little bit bigger than they needed to be. And the dad is probably um the biggest performance in this whole film. He has this weird. It's it's almost like an accent. Every every Virginia, like everything he says, kind of sounds like this, and it's all very pronounced, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> and this is when she yeah and she's like oh daddy i i i know i i love you i just want to you know i just want to stay i love this house and then she goes up to the top of the stairs and this is that awkward moment where she turns around and she's like daddy good night <laughs> i love you <laughs> and i love you virginia <laughs> yes it's so weird so weird yeah, I don't know what they were trying to go for, but it totally lands as being very 
sexual. Yeah, and sexual, yeah. Anyway, so as she goes into her room, we 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 all we see that the the French guy has climbed up her terrace and has gotten into her bedroom. I mean, <laughs> as you do. As you do. And he's in her room and there is a long drawn out scene of her just like parading around in her room doing random things. She puts some music on. She puts some music on. I she... really thought she was like, the way the music starts up, it's like, duh, 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 duh. and I was like, is this going to be like a Jamie Lee Curtis prom night dance number? Because like she starts, she like plants herself and she starts to like unbutton the top. And I was like, oh my God, if this bitch starts dancing, but now she just takes her shirt off. She takes her shirt off. She browses her closet. She looks at her records. She, okay. So I'm saying this because this movie is just minutes shy of being two hours long. Yeah. And there are so many scenes. Personally, I feel could have been cut. This oh, yeah. easily could have been cut down to an hour and 30 minutes. I mean, and it would have been just the same effective film because this scene goes on forever and it's just her just doing random stuff. And then finally she takes her underwear off, leaves them on the floor. Then she goes into the shower she comes out, her underwear are gone, the window all, all of a sudden is open again because when she goes in her room, she sees the windows open, she closes it. She comes out of the shower, the window's open again. She runs over, closes it, backs into the bookshelf and all of her books fall on the floor and she screams. It doesn't really go anywhere. You see, you do see the French um, creeper like hit the fl- hit the ground and run off. She doesn't see it, but you as the viewer see it. But overall, yeah, it just it's just, it's never even, it's never touched on again and there are a lot of moments that like they will transition out of scenes into another moment and they won't really like conclude the thought and sometimes it makes sense because you you under and at the end of the movie you kind of understand why they do that like you know virginia's character kind of has these moments where she'll have like memory lapses Mm -hmm. she'll forget things but then other times it's just like a transition and sometimes it's a really cool transition and sometimes it's just awkward. Yeah. And it, it really depends on the specific transition we're talking about. Um, in this case, I, I do feel like this whole moment, like I was expecting it to build up to something. There's that whole kind of cool moment in the bathroom where you see the reflection of her in the mirror. Mm-hmm. And as she's like running, uh, as she's, you know, over the tub and everything, and you, you see the shot in the reflection. And I was really expecting something bigger to happen. But um, yeah, she screams. She gives out like this blood curdling scream, and there's just no follow up on it. There isn't. It just, then it just because then it just, the the scene literally cuts to the next day at school, and her and Anne are late, and they're running. They run into the. They go into their, um, I guess, biology class, and they're late. And Miss Patterson is there giving the class a lecture about their behavior at the vanishing lady in the night before. That's why I'm thinking this is a high school because I don't see like most colleges aren't going to have mm-hmm. like someone come and give kids lectures about what their behavior. Um, so uh, yeah, anyway, it's just, so yeah, this is Miss Patterson and her exaggerated, you know, new England accent telling these kids how horrible they are and that they are just spoiled and they think they can do whatever they want because they have daddy's money um, and I felt like maybe this was an attempt because she kind of gets very, uh, like, I don't know, maybe a little too, a little too like 
mean, I don't know, mean's not the right word. A little too um aggressive, like a too, yeah. Aggressive, that's the word I'm looking for. Like she's like you guys are just horrible kids. All you you have all you think you can run this campus because you have money. And I'm thinking, okay, I wonder if she if this is an attempt to maybe paint her as a red herring as well. Because now we're thinking, oh, well, she hates these kids. Because remember, she was even mm-hmm. this way with yeah. Bernadette. So I'm wondering if, oh, was she yeah. supposed to be a red herring? Hmm, is she, is this old broad killing people? Yeah, mm. she's, she's, um, unfortunately, she's a character who, like, I really wanted to see, and I'm not, not to, like, ruin what comes, you know, down the line, but, uh, you don't get, like, a closure with her character or a kill. And I was like, fuck, I, I, it literally, as I was wa- watching this film the first time, I was like, ugh, if this dame gets it, she's going to get it good. She, like, give her the, I want her to have the best kill in the movie. And uh, after a certain point, she just kind of goes away. And it sucks because uh, she's honestly, like, one of my favorite characters in the film because she's a no-nonsense broad. And you don't fuck with this woman and yeah. she'll fuck you right back. Um, yeah. She would she would have put up a fight. You know this bitch would have had the best chase scene in the movie. Oh. Uh, she would have had a fucking handgun and she'd have been ready to go. Mace, a cane, something. But yeah, uh, she's not a fan of these kids. So she leaves after she, you know, disciplines the kids. And again, a, a scene that's just like, what? Why do we need this? But it's the professor. Professor goes into his lecture and he is doing something with like electro electricity and bringing like frog legs back to life or something and there is a kind of scene where uh what is his name rudy is like has turned on like the the electric machine yeah so the professor's hair is like standing straight up (laughs) and he's like oh the thing you don't know about electricity is it can be you know and he touches rudy's nose and like this the, the, the most fake looking electric charge animated it's so funny yeah yeah Oh my god, it's so like in a movie like this, it it really like took me by surprise. And not in a good way. I was like, oh my god, like why did that seem like the right choice to make in this like suspenseful yeah, horror they movie? Because it, it does it looks very hokey, very cheesy. But anyway, I guess that watching the uh watching the uh the frog leg kind of come back to life and start like kicking prompts a flashback in Virginia. So she has a flashback of being in the hospital in like some cat scan machine and you know she's they're they're testing her they have her head in there and uh when the doctors leave she awkwardly sits up and's like it's my birthday <laughs> and then it just cuts cuts to her being in the doc- office with the doctor those flashback scenes come out of fucking nowhere yeah. and again like taking the budget of the movie and just Splugin and all over the walls. They've got these like random like elect like yeah. She's like it, I thought it was like a shock therapy scene, and it, it's very weird. Um, and if you're, it's just it's so out of left field. And like they use these transitions where they'll have they'll use these kind of cool moments to transition into them where she kind of starts having these flashbacks and you'll see like this kind of cool lighting cue. But God, they're so weird. One thing about this movie is like it kind of feels like. They took everything in the kitchen sink and they threw it together into one script. And there's just so many layers to this onion and you're peeling them back and you're, there's more and there's more and there's electrolysis and there's a car drowning and there's an alcoholic mm-hmm. mother giving a big over the top performance. And like, there's just so much like what trauma did Victoria 
um, we know Virginia, Victoria. What, what, close enough. Yeah. What chi- what childhood trauma did she not experience? It just really is a lot. Um, but yeah, so she has these flashbacks. She has a few of them, and um, they're kind of distracting. I feel. Yeah, they are. They are, and it, it's not like it doesn't like have a purpose. It does. Yeah. Uh, you know, this film. At its core is like a whodunit and a mystery yeah. as much as it is a slasher film. So uh, not only are you trying to piece together who is doing the killing, you're also trying to piece together what specifically happened to Virginia that is causing her to have these flashbacks and this, these like behaviors that she has. Um, but she's in the, she's in the doctor's office and this is when we find out that she has, um, She's had some procedure that is like was like experimental, uh, and she's the like the first human to get it. And what it is, it's, it's like some procedure that creates some sort of sh- electric shield that then regenerates tissue. I was really trying to follow along with what the doctor was saying and how he was describing it, but what it did was it basically it regenerated her. Um, it, re- it regenerated the damaged the damaged tissue in her brain. Okay. And he's like, well, you're slowly starting to remember, um, stuff. So you're going to remember exactly what happened to you and it'll, it's all going to come back to you and it's, you're going to, you're going to know, and it'll, that'll be like the pinnacle of your recovery. Yeah. However, the transition to this doc is another weird scene. You see this flashback and all of a sudden you're just in this doctor's office and like, they eventually explain who he is, but like, you don't really she goes into these like weird trances and then you never see her like snap out of it. All of a sudden she'll just be somewhere else. Um but let's just take a moment. This doctor, I don't know who decided that this was the right look for him, but this man has a shirt that is buttoned so low, it is unbuttoned down past his chest line. Um and he looks it's I mean it's very nineteen seventies. It just he looks like a pimp. He does not yeah, look like a doctor. No, well, and it's Glenn Ford, uh, who apparently did a lot of Western films in the '60s and whatever. So I guess again, it gives the film some sort of, uh, you know, just value, uh, yeah, star power to it, I guess. Um, yeah. But yeah, he is he and her relationship is Ooh. very interesting <gasps> because she doesn't call him Doctor; she calls him by his first name. The whole David. David, the whole film, she calls him David. Oh, I want David. And there's many times when she's like freaking out. She's like, I want David. If you thought the the, the father daughter relationship was sexual, just wait till you get your load of David and Virginia. David, who's roughly sixty something years old, mm-hmm. I would assume maybe like sixty two. At one point, he strokes her cheek beside a fireplace. There is a lot of sexual tension between these two. And I don't know why. I'm very confused. It really strikes me that Virginia is sexually drawn to every man in her life. <laughs> uh, yeah, she likes the daddy. She likes the mm-hmm. young, buff, hot boy. She likes, yeah. And boy, do they like her. She likes the nerdy. I mean, she's she's just trying to get some dick. I mean... Yeah, so girl, I get it. Yeah, but come on, have don't let's not go for David or Daddy. Come on, yeah, let's be modest. Yeah, uh, 
So, and then this scene awkwardly cuts to a dirt bike race. It does. Another scene that did not need to be in the movie. It's literally 10 minutes of, wa- of us watching a dirt bike race. And it's the French guy, Etienne, is racing. And he, like, knocks his competitor to, to off the track. And he wins the race. And everyone's like, oh, yay. And um, Virginia goes up to... Uh, congratulate him and lo and behold he's like well i couldn't have done it without these and he pulls out her panties that he had stole from her room the night before and of course she's like pissed and she's like you know you're a piece of work and storms away from him and alfred is standing there and sees him and like gives him this like evil look and he's like what the fuck are you looking at and yeah so that's was and then Alfred awkwardly walks literally into the camera. Walks into the camera. And then... Another very weird transition. We cut to... Uh, NTN is now working on his dirt bike mm-hmm. in the garage. Mm-hmm. And there, there's so many scenes where the killer... It's almost all the death scenes have like a POV of the killer walking to the, the victim. So you see Etienne working on his dirt bike. He has it upside down. And the, the wheels are spinning. I don't know exactly know what he's doing. And then you cut to outside of his apartment or his wherever he's at. And you see the POV of the killer walking into the garage. And it's very quick because the killer grabs the um, hanker of the handkerchief, the scarf. This must be a Crawford Academy uh, required apparel because all the characters like we said have it it's a light it's a dark blue and light blue striped scarf the killer proceeds to throw the scarf into the spokes of the motorcycle and it pulls his face into the spokes and his face gets you know spoked off <laughs> is that the right um it, it, it's actually you know it is quick but you know the build up to it it's like the slow walk shot you know um over the shoulder or of the killer moving in towards him and you see he never sees the killer one thing about this killer and i don't want to say i necessarily like it but i do kind of like that the killer has like a a technique i dare say um this killer is very um discreet like the killer sneaks the killer like some killers like to play cat and mouse this killer tries to avoid Mm -hmm. it i feel um a lot of these kills are handled very like um, he'll sneak up on the victim and then take them by surprise and kill them off, you know, instead of having like a chase yeah. or, or torture. Um, and this is something where the, uh, you know, the, the victim never actually sees the killer coming. Like, uh, this, his scarf is hanging down and very gently the killer like grabs it without him noticing and just throws it into the wheel and boom, he's dead. And you see like one gory shot of his face hitting the, the, the wheel as it's because the wheel's spinning because he's working on it the wheel is spinning and you see like one shot of the face hit but other than that like it's like a gore shot the last shot you see of it is like a, it's like a pulp shot and it's you don't even really see the detail of it you just know that you're seeing like a bunch of gore yeah. and it's pretty it's actually pretty effective for being um such a quick sh- sequence you know yeah and the the killer like revs the 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 bike so that the wheel spins faster which was kind of a br- little brutal touch 
Yeah. I mean, assuming these these deaths were a, a lot gorier than what were shown, I think a lot of them had to be cut out or cut. Uh, I think this one was initially gorier than what is shown. I know that the Bernadette death scene at the beginning was gorier than what was shown, uh, but I think oh, yeah. the MPAA made them cut, uh, as they did with many, many slasher films from the 80s. Um, so after this, you cut to the pub. And the group is there waiting for Etienne because they're there to celebrate the fact that he won his race, but he doesn't show up. And neither neither does Alfred. Yeah. So they're like, where's Alfred? So Jenny and Anne decide that they're going to go look for Alfred. I don't know. This was another thing that didn't make sense. Why they chose Alfred to go look for and not the guy whose party it was. But whatever. They want to go look for Alfred. Even though, like I said, it wasn't his party, but they're going to go look for Alfred. So they proceed to go to his apartment. He doesn't answer the door. And they literally like, oh, well, let's just break in. <laughs> and they climb through his window. And his apartment is, let's just say, pretty damn creepy. This is like a serial killer in the making. It's like Norman Bates slash Ed yes. Gein slash Jeffrey Dahmer. Because there are stuffed, like taxidermy stuffed birds everywhere which yeah. and, and animals like squirrels rabbits everywhere like just everywhere on the walls like everywhere and then there are like body parts laying around uh like fake body parts and because apparently he's into like making like fake body parts like you know makeup special effects stuff but there's also like this platter that's sitting on the table and it's covered with a uh sheet and it's all bloody. And they're like, well, what is that? What is that? And Anne goes to proceed to pull the uh, sheet off. And it is Bernadette's severed head. <laughs> it, in all its glory, like staring at them. It looks real. It looks extremely real. Yes. It's probably the, really the actress's head is stuck right. through the table because it looks really real. Yeah. Uh, and they freak out and they, they turn to run and Alfred just happens to be standing right behind him. The timing couldn't be better. The timing could not be better. And up until this point, Alfred has been a pretty cool and character. all of a sudden, in this moment, all of a sudden, just like every other man in this film, unreasonably yeah. creepy. Extremely. Irrationally with creepy. No with no rhyme or reason, he is like, oh, you guys found her. Poor little Bernadette. She's my masterpiece. She was my model. You two, you two would be good models. Like, just like that. Like, yeah. it's really insanely creepy. Yeah. And then he proceeds to walk over to Bernadette's head, stick his finger in her eye and pull the eye out. And guess what? It's fake. What are the chances? I have so many questions. I have so many questions. I mean, I, I, it, it's so strategically placed. <laughs> like, <laughs> even if it was fake, just seeing that and, like, with the, the events unfolding as they do, he would be my number one suspect. I'd be like, what are mm -hmm. the chances that he has a dead girl's head bust in his room? Whether it's yeah. fake or real, I don't care. Uh, it is very creepy to me. This is just a hobby? You're telling me this is just a hobby he has? It's weird, and it's creepy. 
It's super creepy. I, and did Bernadette really agree to this? Did she, did she really? Oh, yeah, you can make a severed head of me. I mean. Yeah. Questions. It is. It is so weird. I have more so questions weird. than answers. And it's never explained. Yeah. It's never there's. It's never revisited again because after this scene, he goes right back to being the cool, you know, just nerdy, nerdy Alfred. Yeah, he seems to almost be the one, one of the guys. Other than this moment, one of the guys that um, that um, Virginia is closest to. Yeah, 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 yeah. They have a lot of uh, moments where they communicate one on one together, or like they'll be off in their own little conversation. Well, yeah, because at the very first scene at the pub, he wants to buy her a drink. Right. And she's like, no, you know the rules. We don't buy each other. We buy our own drinks. Right. Um, so you can tell there's a little something-something between those two. Yeah. Uh, so after this whole encounter with Bernadette, they cut back to campus. Apparently, it's the next day. And Virginia is being called into Mrs. Patterson's office, okay? Because now everyone's starting to get to concern because Bernadette has been missing for a couple days now. And her dad is calling, wanting to know what is what's going on. Uh, and when Virginia goes into the office, she is actually talking to Bernadette's dad on the phone. Mrs. Patterson is, and she then proceeds to again question very aggressively Virginia about where Bernadette is. She's like, "I can't believe you two would not know. You you would not know we're two of the top ten. We have two of the top ten missing. You you guys have to know." And she's like, "No, we don't." We don't know. And then again, she reiterates the fact that she hates the top 10 because they're rich, they're snobby, they act like they're better, they can get away with anything. And then she gives Virginia detention, which again, very high schoolish. Mm-hmm. You don't get a t- detention in college. Yeah. So again, so weird. Very so weird. weird. And then as Virginia goes to leave, she takes a phone call and she literally answers the call. And I think it's, I think it's the French boy's father because she answers the phone and she goes bonjour mr ambassador yeah it's 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 etienne's father he's an ambassador um as Anne and uh jenny are walking out they basically both think that bernadette and etienne just ran away together because apparently they were having a fling i don't know everyone in this film is fucking everyone can we also say that everyone the whole group of the the 10 leads i like I would think that two of them would be a couple and all of a sudden they'd be fucking other two other people. It's very confusing. Very confusing. They're like, oh, let's go to a movie tonight. It's uh, High Noon. High Noon was the movie. Yeah, because Virginia makes the comment out of the blue, I love Gary Cooper. Who doesn't? I don't know. Uh, And then it cuts to them leaving the movie theater. And they encounter Rudy parked outside. How did he know they were there? Who knows? Because he is pissed because he was not invited to the movies. And apparently he has has a thing for Meg because he wants to talk to Meg. But now Meg is at the movies with Steve, which is why she didn't invite Rudy. This is one of the most uh, emotional casts I've ever seen in a film. In general, like not just a horror movie, like they're always bickering amongst each other, fighting. They like the guys get Steve and Rudy getting a fight over the, the over this, over not being invited to the movies. They're getting in arguments all the time. They're they're yelling at each other. Then they're fucking. I mean, their hormones are just on high at all times. Yes, because Rudy's like, you all can go to hell, and he like storms off, 
uh, in his little car. And again, that's that's that. I mean, it really doesn't do anything to, to, to drive the plot. Right. Except, again, maybe to now think, oh, well, maybe Rudy's a red herring because now he's mad at the group. But there's it just this scene is just unnecessary. Again, for a movie that's pushing two hours, this could have been cut. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, easily. And it would not have affected anything. It's not driving the plot. It's not giving us any information about anything. Right. Um, so once this happens, you cut to, again, just all these awkward, like scene to scene cuts that, that really don't, I don't think they mesh very well. Um, you know, with Rudy and uh, Greg almost getting into a fist fight. Uh, Rudy storms off and then you cut to like it's the next day and Greg is lifting weights Ugh, I mean I don't know so this is a kind of an interesting scene so Greg the blonde stud Greg is in his little workout room and he's he's bench pressing and again we get the ominous POV shot of someone walking in and he thinks it's Amelia his girlfriend but when the person walks in he's like oh it's you so another one of those moments like Bernadette had where we know that this killer is someone that they know. So Someone they know. The killer proceeds yeah. to uh, go over to the weights and Greg is like, hey, can you help me put the, you know, this is too light. Can you help me put, you know, more on? So the killer is putting the weights on and Greg's lifting and he's like, oh no, it's still too, it's still too easy. Put, put some more on. So the killer like puts the fucking biggest weight you can on both ends and greg proceeds to lift it and then he realizes it's way too heavy right and the killer pulls the weight stand back so that greg cannot put the weights back down on the on the stand so he's literally stuck holding the weights above him and we know it's they're heavy because he's like all red he's tensing and the killer takes one of the weights and you get a nice like bold shot of you know his him laying on his workbench or his workout bench and you could see his bulge in his little shorty shorts and the killer drops a weight on his dick causing him to drop the weight bar and it lands on his neck and this is a pretty brutal death i mean it crushes his neck blood squirting everywhere um how realistic is this mm. Because anybody that lifts weights <laughs> or has ever lifted, not that I don't, I'm not the buffest person in the world, but at yeah. least I, I know this at least. That's one of the, like the first thing you're kind of told or taught if you're ever lifting weights is if you're by yourself and, and he's pretty buff. So I'm assuming he has a lot of experience that if you're lifting weights and it gets too heavy and you can't put the weights back on the stand, what you do is you tilt sideways and just drop them. He could have easily done that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This is um, this sequence is. Uh, there's things I I do like about the sequence. I'll say uh, one thing I like is that uh, he has this whole dialogue piece where he's talking, like just confiding in whoever the killer is. Like he's just kind of yes. casually talking, and he doesn't really suspect anything until the very last moment when the killer pulls the stand away. And he's like, "What are you doing? What are you doing?" And he and he's like taken by surprise by it. So I did like that. I I thought it was there's something very um uncomfortable about the fact that you know that these people don't uh, when they see the, the who the killer is a lot of times they um 
are uh, initially they, they 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 aren't afraid or they don't find a reason to be scared until the very last moment because of that so, uh, fact that they obviously know who the person is. So that's a unique twist. You don't often see that approach with a with a slasher. Um, but yes, no, I do agree. Is it is it, are there ways he could have gotten out of that situation? Absolutely. Is it one of the more effective kills in the movie because of the brutality of what happens? Yes, it is. It, it is, is pretty, especially the crotch, crush. Like when, when I saw that, like what is about to happen, I was like, "Oh, that's so that's such a bitch move." Like, why would you do that to that guy? But um, yeah, it is an effective kill. It's a bloody one. It, it's it's a fun moment. And I think that that's one of the ones that was also cut. I think the in the the original cut, it was much graphicer mm-hmm. uh, in terms of blood and and, and 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 like lingering on his like face longer. Okay, so yeah, so now Greg is dead. This transition here, going to this next moment, um, you hear this voice rise up going, kill him, kill him, kill him, and it's like shouting, and all of a sudden you realize it's a sporting event, it's a soccer game, and it's Virginia um, shouting, kill him, as in like, kill the other team, you know what I mean? Like, But it, yes, it I was thought cool. That was, yeah, it's, I really like that. Yeah. it's really clever, it's really clever, because it... it, it, it when you first hear it, it's very faint, and then it just kind of gets yeah. louder and louder. Well, we forgot Amelia. Amelia shows oh, up, yeah. uh, Greg's My girlfriend. God. Yeah, and he, he's not there, but then she's wondering. She she brought pizza, and as she's looking for him, a, a huge weight, the weights fall from behind the door and scare her. And she's like just staring at him. And then we start to hear that, kill him, kill him, kill him. Yeah, and it's 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 Jenny at the... Um, at the soccer game. So now we get a dirt bike game. We get a soccer game now. A soccer game that goes on a little too long. But boys in short shorts. The boys in short shorts. And actually, Rudy is the goalie. Not Rudy. Arnie. Or oh, Al- Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> Alfred. Alfred is the goalie. And I'm telling you, right? He looks pretty damn sexy being the goalie. He has his glasses off. Yeah. I'm like. I thought the same thing. You know who else I think is kind of sexy? I'm going to be honest. Rudy. Rudy. Yeah. He's got crazy eyes and he's got a sense of humor. I yeah, like it. That's my kind he of guy. Is, yeah, but I, this was the first time I thought, damn, Arnie or Alfred. <laughs> Keep calling him Arnie because he looks like Arnie from Christine. Alfred. Alfred, you can get it now. I didn't know you were all, yeah. you did all that. And that for a soccer game, they've got they got a slew of Caucasian cheerleaders who are really just bringing it home with one of the, the highest energy cheer routines I've ever oh seen. Oh my god, and each life. of them have a different letter of Crawford on their oh outfit. Oh my god, it's so bland. It's like Wonder Bread. <laughs> it's so lackluster. And like these girls have like no expression in their faces whatsoever. It, it has to be a high school. It's It has to be a high school. It's a high school. And then uh, <laughs> Rudy and Virginia... The, okay, so... After Arnie blocks the goal, Rudy then makes the winning goal, so the team wins, and they're all excited. Rudy and Virginia hug. Uh, Meg, I guess, runs off because Meg was interested in Rudy, even though the night before she was out at the movies with Steve. It doesn't make any sense because Meg now acts like she's all mad that Rudy's hugging Virginia, but bitch, you were at the movies last night with somebody else and you didn't even tell him. <sighs> And so Rudy asked Virginia to meet him in the chapel later. And all I kept thinking about was Lady Gaga. Meet me in Electric Chapel. If we'd make a remake, I know what song cues hitting there. There we go. <laughs> and so you you get the, you get a weird shot. Again, it's some of this stuff just it doesn't flow. Because okay, so he tells Virginia to meet him in the chapel. The next shot is him running on the campus and he's in his, he's still in his soccer uniform, right? 
his little short shorts and his soccer outfit. He stops to like he sees a scarf is like like has become unburied in this flower bed outside the building. So he reburies it. And we're like, okay, that's kind of weird. What, why are you doing that? And again, red herring, there has to be red herring, red herring, red herring. It's just like, Oh my God. Can we, everyone, can we stop with this? But then the very next scene is him and her at the bell tower. And he's in completely different clothes. (laughs) Um, and they climb to the top of this bell tower and it's very cute at first because he's, he's doing a Quasimodo impression and you do get a little bit of dialogue where now we know that Virginia has been away from this school for, for four years. He's like, well, I remember you when you were, you know, here four years ago. So we know something's up, something's happened in these past four years. And it's kind of a little cute, conversation like i said he does some quasimodo impressions and he's like she's like oh you should swing from the from the bell tower rope and he's like oh and then in a like a switch like literally what's he do he becomes a fucking creep again and in the most blatant way possible he takes a knife out yeah he's like virginia i got a knife and he pulls out a knife and he's like, Virginia. She starts backing up because then he kicks the he kicks the door closed so she can't get down. And he's like, and she starts backing away and he's holding the knife. And he's like, Virginia, don't go away, Virginia. Come over here. Come see my knife. I fucking would have. I thought he was so, listen, I got a thing for crazy eyed guys. <laughs> and I thought he was so hot in this scene. She's, you know what? This girl has literally every fucking dick in this school, whatever, high school or otherwise. I don't want to say high school because I'm 34. But um, she's got all of them. Throw in their dicks at her. She's got the pick of the litter. And uh, she's all, all she's doing is running away willy-nilly. He, just flailing away. You know what? This guy, he looks pretty good. And I don't care how crazy he sounds. If that's what he needs... By all means, let's get it over with in the bell tower. Oh, he was crazy. And again, this is awkward. Very awkward. Because he he approaches her, and then all of a sudden, we cut to droplets of blood hitting the floor below the bell tower. No explanation of what it is. It's just a bunch of droplets of blood. So we're like, okay, did he stab? Did he kill her? Because it looks like he almost, it almost, the way they cut out of it, it looks like he pursues her. It cuts away mm-hmm. as though he's like almost going into chase because she she yeah. like fades into the shadows. She like backs up into the darkness and it looks like he's going to chase her. And then it just cuts to blood droplets. There's no explanation of what is causing it, but you're you're made to assume from the uh, that he maybe hurt her or caused some form of injury to her. Proceed. Yeah, because then the priest comes in and he pulls the rope to ring the bell tower, and the rope has been cut. And it falls and hits the floor and it has blood all over it. And the priest has blood all over his hands. And then the priest noticed all the blood on the floor and he starts screaming, murder, murder. Oh my God, that priest, that gay priest. Murder. (laughs) He really did. He made the most of his three seconds of screen time. What a star. Girl, he he did. (laughs) And then now we get after the priest is screaming, murder, murder, help. We see Virginia burst into the hospital. She's fine. 
I don't know. It, she ran to the hospital. Of all places to go after the bell tower, she ran to the hospital. She's looking for David. To find her deep cleavaged lover, yes. David. And Dr. David. There's some some person's wheeled out or wheeled in and has like a huge head injury. And it causes her to have another one of these flashbacks where she is on a operating table and she's, ugh, this is kind of, this is pretty disgusting. It's gross. Yeah. They, it's so they gross. saw her head open, her skull. And it's, this is pretty graphic. Like they show yeah. they're, they're using a saw. They saw part of the skull off and then they pull the skull open with, and then like start poking the brain Shock Mahu. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, and then they're like, that one of the doctors is like, her brain's swelling, and like she's dead. Her brain is like the brain is literally like throbbing. Yes, like, it's so gross. Like the effect is so gross. Like and it's so fake, but like it also is cool. Well, and they're like, well, she's dead. She's dead. Quit it. Just put the sheet over her. And she's like sitting there. She's not dead. She's like crying. Yeah. Yeah. So I. I don't know. And then she's in David's office and she's having a breakdown where she starts screaming, he killed my brain. He killed my brain. (laughs) And she can't remember what happened to Rudy at the bell tower. She's like, I blacked out. She's freaking out. Sure. Her acting here is pretty strong. Her acting, I would say through the whole thing is pretty strong. I have very few complaints about the performances regarding the, um, like the leads, the 10. I, I don't think anyone is really, like a weak link per se in the sense of acting abilities. Yeah, no, I think she was really trying to get out of the, the Mary Ingalls mold with this. Yeah. Uh, and she does, she does. So the doctor's like, well, I'll go check the bell tower and see what happened to, to Rudy because she literally thinks that she maybe did something to him. So now we're supposed to think that maybe she did something to him. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, and then we get, scene the next scene is students being questioned in the library and the police are there and miss patterson's there and one of the students comes running in and says hey they found something outside so all the students that are in the library run outside and the police have found the scarf and they're digging up the scarf that we saw rudy bury a few scenes ago and as they're pulling out the scarf they also find a skull and Everyone's like, oh, no, oh, no. And it turns out that the doctor goes out there and he wants to look at the skull. And he's like, "Uh, guys, I think you better calm your tits because the skull says property of science department. Yeah. So so what everyone laughs. But What was the point of who did this? Apparently, Rudy did this. Yeah, but what, what was the point of the? I don't understand how it. Honestly, I think they they put red herring moments in for the sake of having them, which is a detriment to the overall storyline because it comes to a certain point where, because you doubt everybody, you're not invested in who the actual killer could be. You get what I mean? Like it starts getting to a point where like every guy starts to seem like a creep. Every guy is making weird choices. Every character seems to have like secret ulterior motives mm-hmm. or secret things that are like um, uh, weird things that aren't explained. And because nothing's explained, you kind of stop caring. I mean, I don't want to say I don't like this movie. I do enjoy this movie. I think it's it's fun and it's unique. But um, Scott, some of the pieces, uh, some of the dots don't connect. Uh, a lot of the dots do not connect, mm-hmm. especially as the movie pro- progresses. And you go back over some of these notes and you realize, oh, 
Like, that never really came up again. Oh, that piece of the puzzle doesn't fit. Like, you know what I mean? It, it, there's a lot of little moments like that that just aren't necessary. When you said that this movie could have been cut down by, like, a half hour, yeah, it absolutely could have. Yeah, it really could have. And yeah. so in the library, Ru- uh, Jenny is in there by herself. And as she's walking, like, Rudy, like, drops down, like, awkwardly, like, backward. Like, he's hanging from his from his knees basically needs back flips down in front of her and then falls to the floor and he is he's he grabs her and uh like startles her and, and whatnot and he's like she's like well what happened to you and he's like oh i cut my hand on the rope where did you go he's like you you ran off and disappeared and i you know i cut my hand on the rope and had to have 14 stitches the amount of blood on that marble church floor, it was more than 14 stitches worth of blood. Let me first say that that looks like someone got stabbed in the jugular. The, the, the mess that the blood made on that floor. Second of all, he, the way he, this is the first time you really start to see this, like coming together. He's like, yeah, where'd you go? Like what? Like, don't you remember? Like you start to realize that, and I guess this maybe is something where some of these weird edits start to make a little more sense. I will say, as you start to realize that there really are just moments, time lapses, in which Virginia is not remembering things. You're starting to understand that she's starting to have these moments where she's um, not remembering the events of like the night before, not remembering like hour periods of hours at a time, it seems. And that is explained by this former brain trauma she had. So there is like a, there is a story in there. And like, and I think some of these weird editing choices kind of start to make sense. Do I still like some of these techniques? Not really. Um, but at least it seems like there's a purpose for why they edited it the way they did, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think there, it was purposeful. It just was maybe not done as tightly as it could. Agreed. Um, so Yeah. So after this, there's another unnecessary scene of the remaining group, including Jenny. Uh, they're smoking weed like in this room that's like below the uh, gymnasium pool. Because now, yeah, now Rudy and Jenny are together, right? They're sitting together and Amelia's there and they're like, oh, they're, they're just having a, a conversation about like how, where is everyone going? Out, You know, we don't know. Uh, and then Jenny sees this body like slowly start to like float down from the pool. So she freaks out and runs out of the building, runs to her car. Which is her go-to response for just any run away. Yeah. moment of, of trauma. Yeah, it's just a trauma did this girl not go through in her past. Because uh, it's like one thing after another. Everything triggers something for her. Flee. No matter what, I did love that imagery of that pool sequence. In the moment, it was very like, oh, it was creepy. I liked it. So she drives home and goes back to the cemetery for some reason. And she's at her mother's grave again. And again, someone's following her. So it's like these characters know exactly when Jenny is going to be in the cemetery. Because someone always shows up when he's when she's in the cemetery. You know, when she's in the cemetery, there's always someone there. So how do they know where she's gonna be? Whatever, we don't want to talk, we won't we won't go into that. But it's Alfred. 
And this scene is handled pretty interestingly because he, as she's putting like flowers and stuff on her mother's grave, he is like slowly coming up behind her. And he gets up behind her and like very slow. This is very deliberate, very slow. He reaches into his pocket and starts to pull something out very slowly. Like I said, this is very drawn out. So we're thinking, oh my God, is he going to kill her? Is he, you know, Does he have a knife? What's he doing? And at this moment, she turns around and stabs him in the fucking gut with some garden What a shears. twist. Uh, so uh, yeah. Came out fucking nowhere. Who had Jenny the killer at this point? Totally out of left field. And uh, he drops yeah. down and his hand opens up and reveals what he was going to hand her was this beautiful white rose. A symbol of his love. His obsession mm-hmm. for her, much like every other man in this movie. Yeah, and and she is like staring at at him in the most like hateful way. She's just like giving him this horrible stare. He's laying there bleeding. So that's Alfred. So now we know Alfred's not the killer. We know Virginia is the killer. So we need to figure out like what is going on with her. Like why? What is prompting all this? Is she having psychotic episodes, or is she really? Let's just a cold-blooded killer that's killing people. Um, So she's back at the house. The dad, Jenny's dad now, Virginia's dad has to leave for work. He has to go out of town. He says he'll be back for her birthday Sunday. And she's like, you you better be back. He's like, oh, I'll be back. I'll be back, whatever. And he leaves. And now we go to the school dance. Thank God for a dance. Yeah, we get a we get some we get a good we get a good school dance. We get some characters dancing awkwardly, a bunch of white people. Yeah. I do have to say at this point I feel like to me I want to say that this movie feels like the grease of slashers because it has like larger than life characters, it has an even amount of female to male leads, 5 and 5. Um it has budding romances. It has quirky teachers. It has a fawn-eyed female lead. Uh, it has random race sequences. It has sporting events. It has cheerleaders. Um, it has a, a, a dance. It, it is Greece, but it also has death. So I, I, in so many ways, I feel like this movie makes me think of Greece, and I don't know why. <laughs> yeah, that makes that makes kind of sense. <laughs> yeah, I know. Although, <laughs> I mean, there's really no like main love interest in the film. Everyone wants to fuck each other. other. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> it's not like there's. It's like, but that's like, very Greece. Everyone wants to fuck each other in Greece. <laughs> there are worse things I could do. There's a whole yeah. song about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, so at the dance, Steve is dancing with Jenny. And, uh, so I don't know. Oh, Rudy. So it's kind of confusing because Rudy, who has been interested in Jenny all of a sudden now goes to dance with Liz because Steve comes and asks Rudy to go dance with, with, with Liz because she wants him to dance with her. The crimp. I'm thinking that that's her name, right? The crimp the one with the crimped hair. Elizabeth. Liz. Yeah. Okay. So then Steve goes to dance with Jenny. Who, up until this point, has seemed like she's into Rudy. Yeah. And Steve has expressed no, no interest in her whatsoever. No. Except now. Except now. And he's like... Interchangeable lovers. Yes. He's like, well, we should get out of here. And she's like, ooh, really? Yeah. And it's so... This is like, seems so out of character for her. She's like extremely, f- like, flirty. Oh, she's so into it. But I will say this. Steve, out of all the guys, 
Steve gives me such big dick energy. Yeah, like well, he has that nose. He's got the big. He has dick that nose. nose. Yeah, you the know, nose. a guy with a big nose is a big dick. That's what I've always yeah. said. And he's lanky. He's like tall and lean, and he's got mm-hmm. a lean, big jaw, big nose. I know he's packing, and I think, and I think Virginia knows it too. She probably does. Yeah. yeah. So she invites him back to her place, and she's like, "I make some wonderful." midnight snacks and she's very flirtatious she's like touch them and she's like i make wonderful midnight snacks <laughs> what a what a comment to say i make the best midnight snacks like it's not sexual it doesn't really sound enticing uh, to me a midnight snack is like a jar of peanut butter and a chocolate bar that's what i was gonna say okay so they so literally <laughs> they go re- back to her place some yes. chili <laughs> they, they go back to her place and they are sitting in front of the fire and this Virginia bitch has made for midnight snacks. This bitch has made skewers of meat, sh- shish kebabs. Yeah, like literally, this bitch has has cooked shish kebabs as a midnight snack. Yeah. When I was in high school, and if I invited somebody over to my house for a midnight snack, it was going to be Pringles and pizza rolls. I was not about to skewer meat. <laughs> and she even has like the dipping sauces for um, like different bowls with different oh, dipping God, sauces. It's delicious. Oh it really made me crave a um. Uh, a shish kebab. I mean, God, they are the most decadent-looking shish kebabs. They are. Yeah. And they, you know, she's feeding him, seductively sticking the skewer in his mouth. And then kissing his meat-filled mouth. Roll around on the in front of the fireplace, and uh, he's like, oh, my ass is getting hot. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more, Steve. So then she goes, <laughs> and they sit back up, and she's dipping... The uh, shish kebab into the sauce, and he takes another bite. She's like, mm, that's so good. So she's like, oh, you want another piece? And she, she takes it and dips it into the sauce again and sticks it in his mouth and shoves the fucking shish kebab through the back of his goddamn head. This is the most iconic death from the film, I, I think. It's the cover it art. Is. Um, it is. The cover art is an angle that you don't really... I mean, like, first of all, the cover art makes it seem like he's just like, ah. Yeah, he, he doesn't see like, it coming. Like, yeah. He doesn't, you know, he does not see it coming at all. Um, but, um, yes, it is the most iconic kill. And, God, this girl has to have some fucking upper body strength to force that skewer through a man's... the back of his neck i mean like that don't sound like an easy task but she does it in one foul swoop and he drops dead uh twitching and bleeding um but yeah and then it cuts to her and she's looking real coy Mm -hmm. with a real with a real satisfied grin on her face and he's like coughing up blood with the handle of the thing sticking out of his mouth and i'm wondering the yes you speak of the cover art and i remember the cover art there the tagline is um well there was a bunch of taglines but one of them was like Six of the most bizarre murders you will ever see. And I was... doesn't make any sense, because these aren't really bizarre murders. Shish kebab is pretty bizarre. Yeah, but the I rest guess maybe of, for the time, though, compared to like some of these other... I mean, nowadays, we have the Saw movies to compare to. Yeah. In 1981, you had, like, knives through a door, knives through a face, yeah. knives through a stomach. Like, you really didn't have... You had, like, maybe an axe. And this is, like, a shish kebab skewer motorbike tire like it is it is different a little bit uh, comparatively speaking you know other products of the time yeah yeah because oh and then they also say like oh john will never eat shish kebab again but it's not john they got that wrong john who's john 
We go to the next day and Anne shows up. It's like noon and Jenny comes to the window and she says she can't remember anything about the night before. She doesn't remember anything. Um, so she gets into the shower. She gives, she throws Anne the keys, gets into the shower and she has a flashback of, this is when we get to kind of see what happens. Like really what happened to her. Because we see a flashback when she starts the shower and it's her and her mother in a car. And this is the first time we get introduced to the mother, which is a piece of work. Oh, I love her. I would have watched a movie just about Estelle. Estelle. Estelle Wainwright. Yeah. Uh, what this name? is an alcoholic, like loud mouth, no shits given woman. Yeah. Uh, and she is like hysterical, drinking, got guzzling vodka she's driving 50 60 miles down the interstate uh and the drawbridge is getting ready to open and we hear her she's like cussing out like we don't necessarily know who they are but she's like those goddamn bastards i hate them i'll make them pay for what they did and the draw the the drawbridge is opening up and she's drives on it anyways and what happens is the car gets kind of caught on the the bridges that's opening and it opens and the car like falls into the to the river below mm-hmm. and fills up with water the mom somehow is stuck now she can't get the steering wheel has somehow she can't get out yeah. and she's telling virginia you need to um get get out I'll, I'll open the windows and you swim and don't worry about me so that's kind of sad she has to leave her mother to die but but as she's swimming up the, to yeah. the surface she hits her head on a barge that's passing by. A massive, massive barge. Yeah. And yeah. you see an image of her like f- like floating on the surface of the river with like blood, like just gushing, a huge pool of blood forming around her. Uh, Thus the brain trauma. Uh, yeah. So now we know kind of what has happened to her. Uh, it's a very elaborate sequence. Yeah, it is. It is. Again, this movie throwing its budget around mm-hmm. like willy-nilly no big yeah deal. no because that would have, that would have to be a difficult scene to film with like going underwater and barges and drawbridges and uh anyway she comes to she snaps out of the flashback and the bathroom is now overflowing with water and the shower curtains pull back and when she pulls the shower curtain open Anne's dead body is in this bathtub or a, a dead body is in the bathtub I mean, we're assuming yeah. it's Anne because it's wearing the the same uh, shirt that Anne had. So yeah. at the same instance or a few minutes later, she must have called David because he comes to the house. Uh, he goes up to the tub, looks in the tub. There's nothing there. So he's like, you, I don't know what's up with you, but this is when he realizes it's, it's her birthday now. And he's gives her that kiss on the hand. Very, this the sensual moments between these two uh, are a plenty in this mm-hmm. film, and it just gets progressively more sensual. It's very weird, um, but this is the moment where they're sitting in front of the fireplace, and yes, he kisses her hand, and he strokes her cheek, and he says "Happy birthday." You like it's very sexual. It's very strange. Yeah, and the next day the police show up. And they're looking for Anne. Her car is abandoned across the street, apparently. The doctor, they want to talk to Jenny. The doctor's like, no, she's sleeping. Um, 
And he goes up to her and talks to her about like what happened before the mother and Virginia's car and before their accident, what caused it. So now we get this flashback. This scene is like something out of fucking Mommy Dearest. The woman that plays Estelle, she's got one shot to steal the show. And my God, does she steal the show? She gets the final bow with this movie. Uh, this woman is just gnawing on scenery left and right. Um, and, and she's uh, very scorned by the fact that none of these kids showed up to her daughter's birthday party. Yes, that's the whole catalyst for it, for this. Is it's it's Jenny's birthday party and the mother has invited all of the Crawford 10 or the the Crawford elite to her party and none of them show up. Basically, Jenny tells them that they weren't going to show up because Ann Thomason, who's Ann now that's Jenny's friend was having a party and they were all going to go to her party and not come to Jenny's birthday party because Jenny isn't important enough. And so the mother proceeds to get in the car, drunk off her ass, screaming and drive to Anne's gated mansion (laughs) and is like parked outside the gate of this mansion, like honking her horn and the dad comes out and she is like, you let my daughter in that party. Just like, just causing a scene just causing a scene and the dad is like you get out of here you take your daughter and get out of here we so there's some sort of underlying issue that the mother is like a whore well we find that out but like it's just crazy Crazy. and she as he walks away she's like god damn you (laughs) like she's screaming at the top of her lungs it's it's very over the top yeah, it is like the rain. It's pouring rain, and she's her hair is all stuck to her face, and she's like screaming, "You bastard!" Uh, so then she's kind of wakes up from the flashback that she or the 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 she snaps out of the, the whole situation she just we just saw uh, the flashback, and David is proceeded. She proceeds to beat David to death with a fireplace poker. After this, yeah. Well, she wakes up and she's just like. She's, uh, like, uh, losing her shit, first of all. Virginia, like, wakes yes. up and she's screaming. And he's trying to, he's trying to calm her down. And, um, and, and she, obviously, it seems that she's in, like, a trance. Because he, like, he takes her out of the room. And then he goes back into her bedroom. And he's like, my God, what's happening to her? And when he's not looking, you see her come, you see her hand, the way they edit it, it's very weird, but there's a reason behind it. You see her hand, you grab the fireplace poker, come back, and in two, two beats, like, beat his skull in. But for the amount of hits to the head, there is a, a very heavy volume of blood. Like, I mean, I don't understand. For the amount of times that she hits this man in the skull, it, I mean, it looks like a super soaker just doused. Yeah, I have the I, bedroom. Yeah, I have the blood. same note. The, the 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 blood is extremely excessive. I'm tending to believe this was like another death scene that was cut uh, because yeah, she hits him like literally once or twice in the head, but the whole room is like sprayed with blood. It's everywhere. It's like dripping off of the shutters. It's like what in the world? 
So he's dead. So she killed her beloved David. So now we know like nobody is safe because David was like her biggest like Supporter. confidant. Yeah. 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 And like she beats him in the head. Yeah. Um So after that, dad comes home, right? And dad f- proceeds to find the bloody room the bloody office where David was just killed. And he's like, oh my God, what happened? And for like a moment, and like, I hated this. And I'm so happy that there was like another, yet another layer to the onion. For a moment, it seems as though like the father is stepping up to the plate as like the final girl. Like, it feels yeah. like. It feels yeah, 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 like, yeah. And I'm like, the dad, out of all the people, like the dad really has no, like he is really very little screen time and no major impact on the overall like, chemistry of the film other than like the part he played with like the relationship with the mother um so but for a moment like the focus shifts to the father it is kind of weird and the father like finds like the room which looks like the set of carrie um it's just covered in blood and like destroyed and so he um takes off a run-in like looking for his daughter yes yes and yeah and he's like crying like trembling yeah very final girlish like he's trembling his tears are streaming down his and he goes he runs out to the cemetery because apparently this he knows this is where virginia likes to hang out and he sees actually a figure at the at the gravesite the the white his wife or uh jenny's mom's gravesite and so he approaches it but it's not jenny it's amelia yeah what the f- i was I- Again, never revisited. Like just when this, you just when you thought this film couldn't get any more complex, it does. Mm-hmm. Like and like, I don't know what she's holding, and she's holding a gift. Yeah, and she's like in shock with something. Um, but like, it's not really explained why she responds the way she does, or why she's even why there. she's even there is what I want to know. Why are you at this gravesite of your friend's mom on what in the middle of the night in a in a storm? Yeah, so. She's, yeah, her character is never revisited again. So there are a few characters that actually get away and yeah. and live. And I'm surprised for as prominent as he was in the film, Rudy doesn't die. Yeah, yeah. Rudy, Liz doesn't die. Amelia. Rudy's never brought up. Rudy's never seen again after that, that last scene yeah. at the dance. So it's, Yeah, it's just, I mean, I hate to be like, it's disappointing. But there, I feel like for as long-winded as this movie is, my God, uh, there were plenty of opportunities for a few more kill scenes, especially when it's going to boast, like, the wildest kills you've ever seen. Like, I mean, honestly, like, the the, the, the body count, like, it's not like it's sparse, but, like, there was plenty more room to kill off some of these characters. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. It was. Yeah, it's just yeah. interesting who they decided to kill and who they, yeah. who they left to live. Right. Uh, so the dad sees basically that he sees it now awkwardly. And maybe this is why Amelia was freaked out because the mother's coffin has been dug up. Yeah. We get an awkward like cut to after Amelia's like sh- shocked face. We get a cut to like the the mother's coffin is now like laying over on the side of the cemetery. Right. And he runs over to it and there's a body in it. But it's not the mother. It is David, David, the doctor. So, okay. I just got to say, this girl, 
can has some strength. Virginia. How how does she have the strength or the time? How has she mustered up the energy to commit um uh, what is a mass like I would say a mass murder? You know she's she's killed what at, like at this point eight people six to eight people I don't remember the exact yeah, she, six she's people six six people I think um so she's she's a serial killer not a mass but she's a serial killer. She's killed multiple people. She's gone undetected. She has dragged and hidden the bodies. She's also had the time to completely dig up a grave, uh-huh. drag this old man to the grave, put him into the grave, removing the body that was originally in the grave from the grave and putting it in another location. Uh, this would take days. Yes. Day, just for the, the grave digging I mean, alone. We're talking about a, a petite little 17-year-old. A fro-line. She's so frail. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Mary Ingalls, people. Come on. Uh, yeah. She's digging. She's she's dragging middle-aged men who are. Yeah. I mean, David's not a small man. He was pretty. Have you said Yes. Man. And she was able to drag him outside into the cemetery, put him in a coffin, dig up. the. Yeah. It's just you have to suspend a lot of belief these last oh. 15 yeah. minutes because this movie oh, just goes yeah. batshit crazy and and it doesn't let go this it isn't even like, the craziest into thing. the stratosphere it, of yes. batshit crazy yes. yeah I, I yeah uh so the dad sees there's some like random cabin that's never been mentioned before or never been seen before but now it's there it's in the cemetery it's a it's a cabin and he sees that the light is on so he goes into the cabin and what he finds is pretty shocking, grisly. There is yes. a ta- yeah, there's a table uh and all around the table, the birthday table, it's decorated with birthday decor are all the dead bodies of all of the people that have been killed including the mother, the wife, his wife is all decomposed yeah. now and it's bit, looks like Mrs. Bates is sitting at the end of the table and all the dead bodies are there. Uh, and slowly we start to hear someone singing happy birthday. And it's Virginia. She's walking out with a... Decadent cake. Yes. A, a decadent cake. She sets the... Makes her dad sit down and then... I love it. Puts a party hat on him. Because hey, this is a party. Yeah, it's a party. I love it. That's my favorite touch. Yeah, and blows out the candles. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, this whole moment here, I, I'll give this movie this credit. At least it builds up. I would say the most um, memorable f- sequence, other than the skewer, is this reveal, because you get a really good look at all of the aftermath. You get to see all of the bodies. You get to see, um, like you know. The intestines hanging out of the stomach, the crushed throat from the weight, mm-hmm. um, yeah, all of like um, the all of the different like brutal kills and everything. You get to see these really nice kind of slow shots moving from body to body, which I did like to see. That that was pretty cool. Yeah, it's a very iconic type of. It's I think it's a very iconic scene in horror slasher eighty slasher history. It's it's very the body sitting around the table with the birthday cake. It's a very kind of recognizable scene. And actually another film did the same thing. I don't know if you ever saw it called uh madhouse it has a very similar scene at the, a scene at the end where there's a birthday party and dead bodies are around. And I, I don't remember which one came first. 
I, I don't remember. But very similar, very similar scenes. Um, anyway, so as the dad is sitting there crying and he's like, why, why? She quickly slices his throat. And says, bastard. bastard. Just, just like the mother used to say. Yeah. <laughs> so now dad's dead. So like, yeah, she's just killing she's everybody. Killing everybody. Except she goes over to Anne's body, who is laying like who's been laying face down on the table the whole time because she was the one that was supposedly in the bathtub, and she proceeds to lift the body up, the head up, and it's twins. It's Virginia. <laughs> it's Virginia. 2.0. It's Virginia 2.0. We get to see some Virginia on Virginia action for a moment. Yeah, and she's like, sister dear, wake up. And, oh, yeah. Let's talk about suspending reality for a moment. Yeah. Well, <laughs> because what, what happens here <laughs> is even more irrational than anything else that's happened prior. Yeah, because she proceeds to try to stab Virginia with a knife. Virginia fights back and, and grabs the person by the face and the face proceeds to peel off and <laughs> to reveal that it it's Anne. Anne. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. Um I listen, Troy, you and I have both worked with a lot of prosthetic makeup. In our day, considering our, you know, our careers and so forth, what we do for fun and for a living time to time. And I'll tell you, I have never (laughs) in my day seen a mask, a prosthetic mask that is that realistic. There is, I'm sorry, you, you can say whatever the fuck you want. You cannot convince me that I would make out with that mask like Steve did and not say, hmm. This isn't, this isn't real. This isn't Virginia. This is a latex mask. Bullshit. I call bullshit on this. Oh, it's absurd. It is absolutely absurd. There is no way you're going to have a mask. And it's just a piece. It's just like latex. So how does it change? It's like you see it. It's for well, it's really her face until like you see the hand grab yeah. it and then it just comes. So how right does out. a latex mask change <laughs> the like shape and like size of of the face? Because Anne and Anne and um, Virginia don't really look anything alike. Their face, their the they shape of their face, like their nose, nothing is the same. So you're trying to tell me they built a latex mask that literally changed the shape of her face, her nose, not only that, the hair, not only that, the voice. She takes a wig off. Yeah, the voice. Well, and like, okay. And even like what's peeling off a latex mask, as I'm sure you've seen on a set, it leaves like residue mm-hmm. and all kind and like, and she's clean, her face clean as a whistle. And then they try to like explain it off with a few bullshit lines being like, I mastered everything about you. How you talk. In a year? How you walk. Like, well, uh, uh, I'm sorry. No, no vocal coaching, nothing could ever make you become that girl no there's no way it's bullshit i call it bullshit the voice i mean the voice is exactly the same everything is exactly the same and you're we're supposed to believe it's because of a little latex mask and a wig wig and her practicing her voice 
mm-hmm. Melissa Sue Anderson has a very distinct voice. Okay. Mm-hmm. I feel like you have a very distinct voice. I could never talk like you if I tried. Right. It's just, right. it's not going to happen. No. I don't. No. Care. This is such a shoddy bullshit excuse for like. I don't understand what they were trying to pull with this right. ending. I know they wanted a twist ending. You know what? There could have been a lot of directions you could have went to give this film a twist ending without something that requires you to completely suspend any sense of reality, um, logic. Um, because there's no moments that lead to this, if that makes sense. There's nothing fantastical about this film. There's no fantasy... Like, you know, everything is rooted in reality, but then you, and even like the, the, the interactions and everything between the characters are very much like the average everyday youths. Like, you know, they're trying to play them off like being normal individuals, but then you have some of these plot twists that are just so out of this world and like unrealistic. And it just, those worlds don't mesh well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand. I think from what I heard in the original script, Jenny was the killer. And however, when they started filming, they thought that it was too predictable. So they wanted to change the ending. And in fact, the actress that plays Anne didn't even know she was going to be the killer until they were well into filming. And I think that explains a lot of some of the like inconsistencies in the film or things that don't necessarily add up because literally... This killer, this whole reveal was tacked on during filming. It wasn't like the original script had this ending. The original script ended with Jenny being the killer. Right. It was the filmmaker who was like, "Oh, that's too real. That's too predictable. Let's let's throw in a and twist." And what does Anne say? Like her motivation for this is again? okay. So, okay, I hate to to because I feel like I bring this up every episode, but I'm going to say this. Again, like I said with the final exam episode, like I said with the evil laugh episode, Kevin Williamson saw this fucking movie because her motive is exactly the same motive as Stu and Billy or Billy's motive in Scream. Exactly the same, almost verbatim the same, because her motive is Jenny's mother, Estelle, was having an affair with Ann's dad. Okay. Jenny was born from that affair. That's the big town secret. So Jenny's dad, who they have sexual chemistry with the whole movie, really isn't her dad. Anne's dad is Jenny's dad. However, Anne's mother found out about this and left them. And so Anne is getting revenge for Jenny breaking up her family. Exactly the same motive that Billy gives in Scream. Exactly. Yeah, dead on, dead on, dead on. Huh. So Anne then proceeds to try to stab her, but Jenny gets the knife and stabs her in the stomach. And if that would have been played off, it's a, so quick. A, a, a it's a different so way. Yeah. Well, well, if that would, if that whole twist would have been played off a different way, it could have worked for this film. But the fact that they had like, and again, because they filmed it the way they did, because they had it revealed that Jenny was the killer like halfway through the whole, you know, the scene in the, the cemetery um, because they revealed that like they had to come up with it. Mean, it's just, it, it seems very shoddily put together that like whole final reveal moment, cool in concept 
ahead of its time, but yeah, but doesn't work in execution. I really feel a lot of the moments in this film, they were more about the shock of the moment and like trying to have a, uh, what they thought were these cool sequences and tying them together with story than focusing on. Well, the and story, if you didn't, here's you know? the thing is if you didn't have scenes, like if you didn't have scenes like, well, I mean, if you didn't have the scene like Virginia in the cemetery when she stabs um, Alfred or the whole, you know, five minute scene with uh, her and what's his name that gets the shish kebab, Steve, where it's very blatantly not someone wearing a mask. I mean, there's no way. She, like you said, she was, they were kissing. I mean, it's very obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And they even tried to explain that off in the dialogue with Anne, where she's like, he was so stoned. Steve was so stoned. He was so stoned. He would, He didn't know. He didn't even notice it wasn't you. Like, yeah. Um. But come on. Like, I, I'm stoned on a daily basis. <laughs> if I was making yeah. out with a prosthetic mask, I'd be like, oh, shit. That's not a real person. That's a prosthetic mask. Like, I, <laughs> I would know. I assure you I would know. But it's but it's also what what is kind of shitty is it's like such a tricking the audience in a way that's not fair if that makes sense yeah you're not challenging their intelligence you're just like when i'm watching a movie like a slasher i'm wanting to try to you know giving me all these red herrings and everything sure give me red herrings but give me red herrings and try like give me a reason to have a Mm -hmm. payoff at the end if you're going to do something where you're like and then Anne got killed and then oh lo and behold it's actually Anne wearing a a prosthetic mask because that's reasonable it's not like that's not fair it feels it really feels like it was kind of like a deflating balloon like you know like uh that ending really like it's not that it's not well executed it's meaning like the whole finale it it looks cool but yeah you're right like that stab that final stab is kind of lame and then the cop shows up the cop who's only in like one other moment really like he's really not a big pivotal part but he has the final reveal of being like what have you done and it looks like virginia did all of it it's very rushed it's this ending is very rushed and yeah, the cop comes in and he sees basically Jenny holding the bloody knife and all the dead bodies. And he's like, yeah, he's like, what have you done? And like, she starts just, she's staring blankly. Like you can tell she's lost it. And then you get the voiceover of her singing happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to, it's very creepy. Yeah. But then the film just ends and the credits roll. To what she technically, I mean, if you're going to go with this being the actual ending, all she needs to do is uh, say, hey, get this exact replica of my face, uh, test the DNA in it to prove that it is Anne who was masquerading as me wearing my face. Because what are the chances that there'd be a replica of my face? Yeah, uh, yeah like uh, uh, laying on the floor. And oh, look, she's wearing the same dress. Mm-hmm. that i'm wearing like i mean come on she'll be able she'll be fine she'll be able to explain what happened but yes she's also horribly traumatized well, unless she goes into a like a catatonic state and can't oh, talk and they're just going to assume that she killed everybody oh very, jenny very convoluted ending very just suspended convoluted movie, movie. very convoluted, convoluted movie. movie and i'm not saying i don't like the movie i do i, I like the movie a lot I, it's very entertaining in parts the movie suffers from pacing issues it yes. suffers from being a l- too long yeah uh and it suffers from a lot of nonsensical plot elements that don't pay off yeah and the ending that requires you to re- suspend reality you it's not even suspending discipline this was just not would never it's no it's bullshit no. uh but 
the movie has a lot going for it. It's beautifully shot. It's beautifully acted. There are some suspenseful scenes. The mm-hmm. death scenes are pretty dope. Uh, yeah. Executed well. Yeah. Uh, I could have done with a few more. I'll be yeah. considering the the size of the cast. I would not have minded a few more deaths to balance out the time frame of this very long film. But yeah, you're right. It convoluted is is the word of the day. Um, it, it is uh, a very um, a, a very long and drawn out film, and uh, the, the overall the killer's presence is not a huge factor throughout the film. Like the killer pops in, he kills, and then the killer's or she kills, and then she's gone for large stretches of a time. So it's not like there's a ton of moments uh, where the killer is really like omnipresent. Uh, which is something that I think would have helped as well, just because there's so much going on in this film. And like, it's just, like I said, so many layers to the onion and you, your brain kind of ha- has to keep up with it because some of these twists are just so nonsensical that you kind of are trying to like piece things together for yourself as, as the movie goes on. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun. I won't, but it's I mean, fun. I don't dislike the movie. I enjoy it. I had a good time. Um, I, I just, I have my, I have my gripes with it. Yes. And I think any, I, I can't imagine there is anybody out there that would not agree. If you don't agree with us, please feel free to, to, you know, comment. But I, I don't believe there's anybody out there that would not think that this movie is too long and has several unnecessary scenes. Uh, I, I think there's about five scenes that could have been cut easily from this film and it would not have affected anything yeah. at all. And I can't believe there's anybody out there that would think that the ending is realistic. Yeah. yeah yeah but with that said it's still a fun movie it's still a, it's a black it's still a fun movie it's an iconic movie you're you're always going to remember the image the artwork of the shish kebab going down the guy's mouth mm-hmm. i remember that being one of the more memorable uh intriguing vhs cover arts when i was a kid going into blockbuster and family video the horror section and seeing that box art is always the one that kind of drew my attention yeah um so I'm not dissing the movie at all. I, I right. think it's a solid film. It does. I wish I could go back and this would be a, and I'm not, you know, I'm not usually a huge proponent for remakes, but this would be a movie that'd be a right for a remake. I agree. And another thing I'd really like to see is, um, you know, speaking of the, the films that have had a lot of fat trimmed or not fat trim, but, um, by bloody Valentine. We've talked about it before, how when the, you know, they finally were able to get their hands on the additional footage, mm-hmm. how much, um, that added to this, the film. And I mean, My Bloody Valentine is a great film to begin with, but God, some of those kill sequences just really got amplified. And I wonder if having some of this additional gore that got cut from this film injected back into it would um, help maybe even out the overall experience. You know? It might, it might, it might. I mean, I think it's, it would, it would help a little bit. It's not going to do much about the pacing issues. No, I agree. But it would give, you know, an extra kind of visual payoff but as far as pacing it's not going to help i mean not that my bloody valentine is a necessarily a well-paced film it's much better paced than this but my My bloody valentine still has some i I think has the pacing issues a little bit towards the middle of the film but nothing like this no no this this kind of drags drags, yeah uh, well, not even drags. It's just there's unnecessary scenes. Like I, I don't. If I'm watching a slasher movie, I don't need to watch a ten minute dirt bike race and a five minute soccer game that really have nothing to do with anything that could have not been in the film and nothing would have changed. But again, folks, we are not bashing the movie. We love my we we love Happy Birthday to Me. I think I wouldn't say we love. I, I 
we like it. We, we like, like it. it. It's we it's like decent. It. <laughs> it's not the favorite film we've covered, but it's it's up there. It's an admirable entry to the slasher genre and uh, has certainly had its influence in, in certain ways. I can see just, I mean, even like what you're saying, with the scream influences, you know, this is just another one of those movies that I'm sure went on to influence uh, other films within the genre and beyond, uh, both better and worse. Well, I mean, I feel like this film definitely gave the whole birth to the twist ending, like out of nowhere twist ending. Because uh, yeah. then several films that followed this went because I can't think of a movie really with well I mean like Psycho had a twist ending but it was nothing like this where it's just so out of left field and but then after this I can think of like movies like The Initiation um, that had very convoluted twist endings that required you to suspend some disbelief but this is a good film so and that's Money Blade Valentine folks so. My bloody well, no, it wasn't my bloody. See, I was talking about my bloody. That was happy birthday to me. I guess we're gonna have to do. I guess we're gonna have to do my bloody Valentine at some point because I fucking I have it on my goddamn brain. Apparently, I love the the remake as oh, well. Oh, the remake's good. The I remake is so good. It's it's so good. So speaking um, of what what yeah. you tell you what's what's our next film gonna be? It's my turn. God, I'm excited. You know what? So yeah, so um. I'm, like I said, I'm going to be in Colombia for a week. When I get back, I need to get back to my American roots. And what better way to get back to my American roots than by watching the 1988 iconic John Hugh-directed classic, American Gothic. American Gothic? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I know. What a treat. I know. We're, com- we're, we're doing something a little different this time, I figured. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 I've been going kind of sci-fi as of late and I was like, Roger, let's just get back to our roots. So, um, yeah, no, we're going to do American Gothic. That's my entry for next week. So that is the American Gothic guys. If you haven't seen it, it's Yvonne DiCarlo, Rod Steiger, uh, Michael J. Pollard. It is a treat. And that's all I'm going to say. Uh, this is going to be a wonderful conversation because this film, if we thought this film was crazy, American Gothic is just yeah, you wait. right up there. Yeah. Batshit. <laughs> it's cuckoo fucking bananas. Is what so check is. it out if you haven't seen it. You, you actually have a little longer time to, to, to watch it. Because like I said, we, we're going to have to t- skip a week of recording. So we'll be back. But we gave you an extra long episode with this one. Because we are right now we're at the two hour and two minute mark. So you have plenty to divulge yourself with. If, Savor every minute of our sweet, because we won't sweet, be here next voices week. Because Roger's going to be living it up. Well, we might, maybe we'll come in and like yeah, a yeah, tail yeah. end of the weekend. Um, but uh, until then, you're going to be playing this one on loop, and uh, after that, you're going to be reviewing it. For the love of God, give us, a, give us a like, give us some love, write a review. It's the, the same spiel every week. Uh, you know what to do, but yeah, hopefully. Absolutely. Thank you for the one person that gave us a five-star rating on iTunes. I did notice that we did get another, we went up now. So thank you. If you actually write it, if you actually write a review, not just hit the star and you actually write a review and leave your name or your little nickname, we will shout you out. Uh, We will shout you. We will praise your name. So please do that. Five stars. And we can we we will keep talking two hours over two hours about eighty slasher flicks with you. You'll be our first official fan of the week, mm-hmm. and who doesn't want to be the uh, official fan of the week on Dark Night of the Podcast, 
Right, yeah, Troy? Okay, Until then, we're our own fans of the weeds. We <laughs> I've been saying that. Happy birthday to me, and happy birthday to you, Troy. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed. And again, American Gothic. We will see you for American Gothic, guys. Have a great week. Yeah.